All right. Well, Jim, you recently wrote a blog about something that um, I had actually never heard of before. Um, and it was a blog about angel numbers. So you describe them essentially as like these repeated number sequences. So for example, you know, if you wake up and you look over and the clock says 1111, or well, that would be a good morning if you woke up at 1111, <laughs> just thinking some mom of little ones, that sounds very lucky indeed. Um, or, or another example is like last year, the date 2222, or you'd mentioned like being rung up like at the grocery store for 3333. So really it's just kind of any repeated number sequence that we come across. And, you know, some people see things like that and they're like, huh, that's kind of a funny coincidence. Um, but what you pointed out is that other people look at the, those things and think, wow, like this could be a divine message, you know, and whether they attribute that divine influence or source as God himself, or really more like generic powers of the universe, um, that, yeah, they can hold special meaning for some people. Of course, I'm, I'm familiar with this concept, but I had never heard of it um, referred to as angel numbers before. Um, and, but I was as I was reading through the blog, I'll come back to angel numbers, but as I was reading through the blog, I couldn't help but just draw a few extra connections to, you know, between angel numbers and then you know, more generic concepts like luck and superstition um, and coincidence and how I think more of us than we would like to admit really do put a lot of stock in these rare incidences and even go as far as to look for God's will in these not so coincidences of life. So to start, um, let's go back to angel numbers. Could you talk a little bit more about angel numbers, specifically like where that name came from? Yeah, you're right. They refer to like randomly glancing at your watch and it reads 5.55 a.m. And then later in that day, you randomly glance at your watch and it turns out to be 5.55 p.m. And you, there's a significance attached to that. Or you go to the run into a convenience store and you get a couple of things and it's $9.99. Um, and then later you buy something and it was $9.99. Exactly. Some would see that as completely random. Uh, others, though, those repeating numeric sequences known as angel numbers, and I'll get to why in a moment, are filled with, with, with meaning and they're filled with significance as signs of confirmation, signs of directionality. Uh, seeing angel numbers may mean that you're getting a green light to do something. Like there's something you know that you've been thinking about wanting to do or if you, should you do it. And if you get a series of angel numbers, then that's your sign that you are to do that. They can involve any aspect of life from job opportunities to relationships and so forth. The key is for the number to come in a set of three, not four or two, but three, and um, for you to come across it more than once. And uh, the more that angel number is repeated in your life, the more significant it becomes. Now, uh, let me keep chasing a couple rabbits here as I, as I kind of introduce this, because I think it's important. Um, it's without question that the Bible clearly teaches the uh, symbolic significance of numbers and certain numbers. Uh, the number one is used throughout the Bible to convey the unity and uniqueness of God. Uh, the number two uh, is the basic unit of creation of multiplication. And so you have the creation of man and woman as husband and wife. You have the animals going into the ark two by two. The number three uh, represents um, something that is complete or finished, such as the perfect nature of God being triune. The number seven is symbolic of fulfillment or perfection. For example, God finished and fulfilled his perfect creative work on the seventh day. Uh, the number 12, you know, uh, tied to the purposes of God. And, you know, Israel is made up of 12 tribes. Jesus had 12 apostles. Um, there is, uh, that's just a sampling of, of the numbers of significance found in scripture. We could have used the number 70, the number 666, the number 1000, the number 144,000. And 
uh, I have um, actually did an entire series once and on the number 40, because I think that's the most significant number uh, in scripture. The great flood lasted for 40 days. Moses was on the mountain with God before he brought down the Ten Commandments. 40 days. The establishment of the kingdom of Israel was founded on three kings, Saul, David, Solomon. Each one ruled for exactly 40 years. Prophet Elijah fasted 40 days. Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days. He walked the earth for 40 days following his resurrection. Uh, and so the thread for that, if you're wondering what, what did I do with all that, just so I don't leave you <laughs> was that each period of 40 uh, was associated with something new, a new development. Uh, in the history of God's activity or new beginnings. And so in the Bible, almost every new chapter of God's work was marked by the onset by some period of time related to 40. And so for that reason, 40 is taken on a special significance of spiritual preparation. And that's why Lent lasts 40 days mm -hmm. as well. But this is very different. All of that is very different than what's going on with angel numbers. That's not spiritual symbolism tied to biblical truth much less marking something sacred for reflection or preparation. With angel numbers, what you've done is you've entered into the world of what's known as numerology. Numerology is uh, uh, kind of an ancient esoteric science practice that deals with numbers and letters and the supposed energy and intention and vibration that is behind them. Uh, if that sounds occultish, it should because it is. <laughs> numerology is no science it is part of the world of the occult in fact viewing numbers this way is the essence of both astrology and palm reading so why are they called angel numbers uh, because they are viewed as being sent from the spiritual realm uh, by some type of angel in your corner uh, some type of spiritual guide or maybe a deceased loved one um, and of course one of the characteristics of something occultic is the disclosure of information or communication unavailable to humans through normal means. And that includes things like horoscopes and fortune telling and psychic hotlines and tarot cards and yes, angel numbers. Uh, the information they claim to possess or to affirm comes from somewhere. And if it's not from God or through the sources God has ordained, then it's from the evil one and his forces. There's no just kind of cosmic power floating around out there that just exists neutral and impersonal uh, or that has a voice that can be tapped into uh, or, you know, some kind of cosmic consciousness for a secret knowledge about the future of human life. No, everything falls uh, under heaven or hell, good or evil, mm -hmm. uh, God or the evil one. And numerology is part of the occult and the biblical warning on dabbling with anything related to the, to the occult is clear. Mm. I have a kind of a funny story. I just thought about as you were sharing about this, because I remember, so when my husband and I first got married and we were on our honeymoon, we did this like zip lining experience. And I've been on like a little zip line, but this was like the first time I was on a very big one. And remember we climbed like the large high tower to get up there and we had to put helmets on and every helmet had a number on it. And my number was 666. <laughs> I remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, as I'm about to like leap onto the zip line, my number is 666. So all that to say, even if you don't think that you would normally subscribe to angel numbers, I mean, when you're looking down at, you know, a lot of feet below you and you've got the number 666 on your helmet, um, that was, yeah, a little bit unsettling. Um, but anyways, like I said, even if you don't put your stock in angel numbers, I wonder if, related to that, we may more put, often put our stock in 
signs or luck. Um, you know, just take sports as an example. I've heard that baseball players in particular are very superstitious, um, but so are just regular old sports fans. Like my brothers, for example, like they have certain houses where they'll watch games or like certain seats that they sit in when they watch a game um, and so on. And, and Christians do the same thing too. So is there really any, is that really any different from believing in angel numbers? Kevin <laughs> reminds the line from Michael Scott in the office. I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, there, you know, it's interesting. It, it, superstition does run deep. I don't know if you have noticed this ever, but um, you know, I travel a fair amount, and I one time it, I, I began to notice how a lot of hotels and a lot of buildings will not have a 13th floor. Oh, you're right. They, they literally, you'll see it just jump. There is no 13th floor because people don't want to stay there. Now, there is a 13th floor. They just don't label it that. So, um, yes, I do think this is this, you know, what you described may seem less blatant. But, yes, it's it's the same sense in the sense that you think there's some type of power, significance or energy flowing from that. And so, yes, that is an occultic idea. And it is something that you are almost acknowledging a power from that. And that, that, that power is, is from somewhere. The significance of that is from somewhere and it's not impersonal. I mean, there's not an impersonal energy force flowing around there that makes that particular seat, that particular number have any type of significance. So yes, it is a, a, a kind of a, a cult in everything, but name. Mm. As we let that soak in for people, because I feel like that is not a way that we have viewed super, viewed superstition before. I'm just going to like even take us even further afield, I think, because based on what you were just saying about how there is like a force behind that. I, I wonder if there's not a connection between like superstition really as just being like a modern day form of idolatry. Like, so stick with me here because Okay, so since the dawn of time, right, like humans have worshipped idols. And although we can think that's primitive, like, you know, why would people worship a statue that obviously has no power? Like, I think that's kind of like an obnoxious pride, place of pride that that comes from to think that like that's actually what happened. When really it's more realistic to think that at some point, you know, they prayed to something or something, something, an idol was involved and it worked. Right. Like the, you wore those baseball socks, your lucky socks, and you won the game. OK, maybe that happened the second time, too. Like at some point it does work. Um, Andy Crouch actually talks about this, he, that idols have magic. And and really what that magic is referring to is what you were talking about, that um, the magic is really, in many cases, just a demonic influence behind them, um, that they work sometimes. Um, and that's what draws. They work enough for us to constantly want to keep checking in with them and drawing um, drawing from them or believing in them. Am I like completely crazy? No. In fact, in fact I, I think, I mean, if you were the evil one, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't I you want to so. have people draw in and believe in superstition, something that's not directly tied to God or anything, but an uh, energy or force or some other power. But let me let me give let me give um let's let me give a long longer answer to this. Let's 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 establish some things that I, I think that uh, many times um, Christians forget about, and uh, and and uh, and those who are not Christians are not aware of. The Bible teaches that there really is, in fact, another dimension. There is a spiritual or supernatural world, um, and it's inhabited by beings. 
uh, by creatures and it has and it's filled with intense activity and those creatures and that activity can intersect with life on planet earth and when it does um, it's paranormal uh, Paul writes about this at length in Ephesians 6 and specifically that not all of it is good there is conflict even open war and that means power and powers he talks about the rulers the authorities the powers of this dark world the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms so what are those powers what are those what are those forces what is out there besides god and us and the short answer is angels and so what are angels and again there's a lot of ignorance here and i'm, I'm building to speak directly to what you brought up um the Bible gives five basic things to really know about angels. First, they're, they're creatures created by God. And as creatures created by God, they have intelligence that, and they also have a will. Uh, they're moral creatures. And like us, they choose to either obey God or disobey God. Second, they're not human. They're spirit. They are spirits. They don't have physical bodies like we do. Although when they interact with human beings, they can and often do assume a human visage or form. A third thing about angels is that they are um, powerful, far more powerful than we are. In fact, Second Peter, the Bible simply says angels are stronger and more powerful than, than men. And that's putting it mildly. Uh, in the book of Second Kings uh, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that one angel was sent to destroy 185,000 Assyrians. One angel was enough. Uh, in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the world being destroyed at the end of time, it's done largely through seven angels. Um, to carry out the commands of God. That's all it took, seven angels to destroy the entire known universe and all of created reality. So we're talking power. And then uh, fourth, there's a lot of them. Jesus made reference to being able to call down uh, 12 legions if needed. Um, a legion in the Roman army was anywhere between 3,000 and 6,000 men, but I wouldn't get too specific about that. Jesus wasn't trying to say, you know, I could call down 70,000 if I really wanted to. I mean, he could. But it was figurative language. The point was that Jesus understood there to be thousands upon thousands of angels. Uh, the book of Hebrews talks about there being thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John talks about seeing 10,000 times 10,000 angels. So we don't know the exact number, but we know it's a staggeringly large number of them. But the fifth and final thing to understand, and this is maybe most important for our conversation, is that there's different kinds of angels. For example, there are angels called cherubim which seem to be the highest order, or at least those closest to the throne of God. Then there are angels called uh, seraphim, uh, and there are archangels, which seem to be the most powerful. Uh, and who knows how many other kinds? The Bible just doesn't detail, but there seems to be a lot of different types of angels and great order there and such. But um, uh, the most important separation between the angels is this, that there are good angels and that there are bad angels, that not all of God's angels that were created uh, stayed loyal to God. Some rebelled, they lost their place and their holy condition, and now they oppose the work and the will of God. And that is what a demon is. A demon is a fallen angel who chose to rebel. That is who Satan is, a fallen angel, most likely an archangel. And knowing about the existence of bad angels is important because the Bible says that demons have one and only one purpose, to oppose the work and will of God, both in this world and in our individual lives. Uh, and their main strategy is, is often deception. Uh, it's not their only strategy, but it's often deception to be seen as anything but truly evil, as anything but demonic, to, to not have you 
know that they're behind something or doing something. In fact, their strategy can even be, Scripture says, to try and appear as good angels, good beings, good forces in order to lead people away from God. Second Corinthians, Paul says, look, uh, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Uh, and in Galatians, which is why we, we got to have litmus tests. And of course, we have that in Galatians where Paul says you test the spirits by what they say, by the message. You know, does it conflict with the gospel in any way, shape or form? Uh, and he says, if even an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than what we preach, let him be anathema, eternally condemned. Meaning even if somebody appears angelic to you, that's the litmus test, which is why uh, in First John, he says, don't believe every spirit. He, that's pretty blatant. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Okay, all that to say that, yes, with their power and their intent to deceive, they can very much try and get people to believe in any number of things, false gods, idols in the past, um, you know, sorcery, um, magic, uh, the power come from Wicca or, you know, forms of witchcraft. And they can... They can back it up with signs and wonders. I mean, just because you've encountered power, signs, wonders, something miraculous, doesn't mean you're dealing with good. Mm. I want to talk a little bit more about that testing part of it, because I think that if I'm thinking of kind of modern day examples of this, you talked about how people can use angel numbers or signs um, as a means of directionality or, you know, to confirm something. You know, so, for example, <clears throat> let's say your lucky number is four. You're out house hunting with your husband and you come across a house that you like and the address is 444 Oak Street, you know, or whatever. And you think, that's it. That must be a sign. This is the house for us. Right. Um, and to be fair, you did point out that there are symbolic uses of numbers and signs in the Bible. So the question I think a lot of us are asking, I know I'm asking, is could God be trying to communicate something to you through that coincidence? And if so, you know, it's not like a it's not overtly demonic, you know, that suggestion. So like, how do you know if it is from God or if it is a demonic influence planting that idea in your head? Yeah. Well, first I think it is uh, demonic if we're treating this as an outside of God energy or an outside of God revelation. Um, in fact, if someone were to say, I've got a lucky number, if a Christian were to say that, I would say, what what what's your theology behind that that you even have a lucky number i mean what 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 what's empowering that um but i think that what you brought up is 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 different than that which is what do you do with circumstances what do you do with coincidences mm -hmm. and um so let me let me give maybe another longer answer let's see um we're here for it this is so countercultural this is really helpful Jim. Yeah. when you when you pray you know god if you want me to take that job have them call by 10 o'clock this morning or and they call and so you see that as a sign from god or they don't and you take that as a sign from god or maybe you run into an old high school flame and by chance it's been years since you've seen them or heard from them and it's so weird that you ran into them and they sure are attractive. They're still looking really good. And wouldn't you know, you're both single and now you're living in the same city and you bump into each other at this bar. Must be fate. So you automatically think of romance, even marriage, and kind of put a stamp on it that it was a God thing. Or you're wondering whether or not you should move. And then the next day you drive by a house that you've driven by a hundred times. And it's always been your dream house. That house, always your dream house. And there's a for sale sign out front. And you think, I must be supposed to buy it and move. 
I heard of one woman who was trying to decide whether she was going to take a trip. And uh, she had the time, she had the money, but she just didn't know if that's what God was telling her to do. And she was tossing and turning all night. And when she woke up, she noticed that her digital clock said 747 in the morning. And so she called the airline. What kind of plane was that flight going to be on? And it was going to be a 747. And so she decided it must be God speaking. Uh, funniest story I ever read was there was this guy who, who um, was on a diet. And he decided to take a different way to work in the morning to help with his weight loss. And he did uh, that because on his old route, he would always drive by this bakery and it become his habit to, to stop and get something to eat there when he knew he should. Okay. One day he went to work though, and he had this huge cheesecake that he brought with him. And some friends of the office says, I thought you're on a diet, you know? And he says, I am, you know, but I got to trust God. I've got to trust God and do what he wants me to do. And he said, I accidentally took my old way to work this morning and went by the bakery and this cheesecake was in the window. And I couldn't believe that a cheesecake, which is my favorite, and God knows it's my favorite, was in the window by accident. So I prayed, uh, Lord, if you want me to have that cheesecake, let me have a parking space directly in front of the bakery. And sure enough, the eighth time around that building, there it was. So there's no doubt that, you know, we can play with this. But um, but there's also no doubt, all kidding aside, that one of the ways that we can discover God's will is through circumstance. I think scripture does teach that. I think that is clear. Uh, he can open and close doors and he can create opportunities for us and then place them in our path in order to direct our steps and, and maybe confirm a particular direction. I've always been intrigued how you see a lot of that in Acts, for example. In fact, one of the more interesting ones, and we don't really know what was going on here, but in Acts 16, where Paul and Silas we're going a certain way. And, and they, it says we were prevented by the Holy Spirit and from going another way and then later prevented them again from crossing into another area. And they kept saying we were going there, but we were prevented by the Holy Spirit. So we had to go a different way. And we have no idea <laughs> what was up with that. Uh, we don't know whether a road was closed or some kind of weather issue or, or what, but we know how they interpreted it. They were interpreting it as, as God leading them through those circumstances. Uh, circumstances can encourage us to move forward, to, to check something out, to, to explore something. And when that first tentative step is met by another encouragement and another open door, uh, another confirmation, we move further and further on. And it can be fun and we can look back in hindsight and see a whole trail of events where God was clearly leading us step by step, which is why, you know, I've unashamedly prayed. On any number of occasions, you know, God, I've applied everything I know about decision making and the will of God to this situation. I've certainly scoured this from the perspective of your moral will and scripture. And I've been praying like mad and sought counsel. And But please help me be sensitive to any and all circumstances that you might want to use to direct me. Or sometimes the prayer is, God, please, as best I know, this is the path I know I am to take. All I know is to start down it. But if it's not, will you please slam the door? Uh, slam it hard, you know, send a red flag, anything that'll help me know that I'm off course. Um, everything seems to point toward this. So I am going to be moving that way, but if this is something you don't want me to do, you know, please let me know. Um, let doors be closed, prompt those around me to see what I can't see. Uh, um, bring some aspect of this to light that I may not be thinking about. Don't let me miss the obvious, please. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's like that old story and it's, oh, it's old. But the old story of um, the woman who was caught in a flood. So she climbed to the top of her house 
uh, and prayed that God would rescue her. And then a neighbor floated by on a log and he said, hey, come on, get on. And she said, nope, nope, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And then a guy comes along in a boat and she passes on him too. And then a helicopter rescue team comes for her and she waves them on and she ended up drowning. And then she stands for God and she says, where were you? You know, like, why didn't you answer my prayer? And he said, I sent you a log. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. Mm. Don't miss the obvious. Mm. Um, but you got to be careful with circumstances. There are a lot of open doors that God never opened. You did. And there are a lot of coincidences that are just that coincidences. It's a mistake to think that every need, every opportunity, every circumstance, every event that comes your way is a calling from God or a direction from God. So we need to be very careful about saying uh, what is or is not his circumstantial leading, particularly when we have a very strong desire to go a certain way, when we want something to be God's will, because then we'll start reading anything and everything into the direction that we want to go. And of course, um, but what we what we really need to do is to um, be very clear that it, it's it's if Scripture has spoken, if 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 you know something like that, if there's a moral will violation of that, then circumstances are completely irrelevant. We've already gotten our answer because God will never use circumstances to lead you to do anything that violates His moral will. Hmm. There's a lot in what you just said that I I want to ask a couple of follow up questions too. But let me. I, I wanted to go back because you mentioned a couple of examples from the Bible. You were talking about in Acts, and I. Um, you know, there, there is, there are instances in the Bible um, in which there's a practice called ca casting of lots. Okay. For example, like in the story of Jonah, you know, when the, the sailors, they start to cast lots when the storm comes upon them to determine like who God was upset with. And then like upon reaching the promised land, remember the Israelites, they cast lots to determine, you know, which tribe would get which portion of that land. So how is like casting lots different than what we're talking about today? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, uh, first of all, that was their way of allowing God the right of choice. That was their mentality and their approach to it. We, we want to give God the right to make this decision. We're not going to just let, it's not like we're going to do something that is a purposeful game of chance, like a roll of the dice. And we're just going to let that we're no, we're going to, the casting of lots was something that was done where we're going to say, okay, the purpose of this is for God to speak, not chance, not some other power, but for God to speak. And it was a use of sticks or rocks that were, it was common in that day. It was more akin to a prayer. The casting of lots was almost more of a, of a, of a God, we're praying for you to speak through this and a prayer to him. Another thing I would say about lots, it's important to understand is that it is almost entirely, except for one instance, almost entirely an Old Testament phenomenon that ends in uh, specifically in with Pentecost. The only instance of it in the New Testament was pre-Pentecost, which was choosing the successor of Judas. But you don't find a single instance of lots being used by the church, by Christians, by the apostles, by anyone after Pentecost. And the idea is, is that with the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we now have that leadership. We have those promptings. We have that sense of being able to call on God for help with decision making. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us. We no longer need to call on God to work through something like lots. Hmm. Okay. So then related to that, I want to talk about like asking God for a sign then. Like we, if we have the presence of the Holy Spirit and here's, here's another biblical example of this. So, you know, Gideon, I think is like the iconic example of asking God for a sign. You know, he's like, God put dew on this fleece and then um, take away the dew on the fleece and on and on it goes. Right. And God does those things. So Knowing that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, that we don't cast lots anymore, 
you mentioned that you still will pray, you know, you know, open, shut a door very firmly or something. So like, is it still okay to ask for a sign? And if so, like what kind of signs are an appropriate thing to ask? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm what, yeah. And again, my prayer was like, God, I, I, I'm inviting you into this decision and I don't want to miss anything, you know, and if I've already missed everything, you know, <laughs> you know, then, you know, then treat me like a child, you know, and slam a door in my face or something. I, but I, I do think that, um, yes, you do have something like the fleece of Gideon in, in the Bible. But if you read that story, uh, it wasn't exactly Gideon being a hero. Right. It wasn't exactly a good thing. It wasn't exactly something that God was, was happy about. Um, and he did it, but he was almost dealing with Gideon's immaturity and fear. Um, but, uh, I would say, yes, it's long, it, it's fine for you to ask for a sign, ask for God to do anything in your life like that, as long as you're fine for him not to give it. Hmm. Um, because he's going to prefer faith, just a, the faith of obedience, um, rather than you doing something because he gave you a sign. Um, right. and again, just think about Thomas, uh, doubting Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, you know, okay, I'm, here's my hands. But oh my, blessed are those who have not seen um, uh, or been given a sign. And so the need for a sign uh, to bolster faith is uh, seldom, well, it's never smiled on mm-hmm. in scripture. Okay, so to kind of wrap all this up, this whole, like summarize this whole conversation, I feel like if we want to discern what God's will for us is, how much stock should we put into like the seeming coincidences of life? Very little, very little. A uh, uh, 99.9% of God's will uh, is moral, a moral will. And he's given us that moral will. And within that moral will, um, there's freedom to choose, you know. Uh, and, you know, because, you know, if, it, if it's not a moral issue, then God gives us freedom to choose. You know, you want that house or that house, buy that shirt, this shirt, even marry this person or not person or another person. It's not like there's just one out there. And I know that always freaks people out when I bring up that kind of an example, but I think that within God's moral will, there's, there's, there's freedom. Um, and 99% of God's will for our life is moral. So I would say that the, the order for decision-making is number one, the Bible, which is going to be the, the prime source for God's moral will. Second prayer third, uh, godly counsel, and then last circumstances. Hmm. And l- certainly keep it in that order because anything circumstantial, um, if it goes against godly counsel from multiple sources or goes against, you know, what you have felt strongly through prayer. And certainly if it goes against scripture, then you know that those circumstances are, are, are not to be considered at all. Hmm. This has been a really helpful conversation. I just feel like there are so many things that you mentioned that are, as I mentioned, like very countercultural, or at least the whole idea of luck and superstition. It just seems so playful in our culture that we don't really think deeply about what is it that we're actually believing when we think that like this special shirt has powers to throw a baseball game or something in my favor. Like, I think that this, yeah, this has been really helpful. I think, I hope that people kind of take some time to digest this. I know that I will. And as always, um, check out our show notes because um, we've got a team who puts together those show notes and they always have additional resources. Jim, you've um, blogged. And as you mentioned, you've done series about a lot of the things that you talked about today. So I think that would really serve people if they really want to go deeper. But 
we'll leave it here for today. Um, but for those of you who are listening, we hope you'll join us again next week.